Hello and welcome to a new sports podcast series that puts the traditional format of the interview down to sheer chance. One interviewer, that's me, one interviewee from the world of sport and 52 cards with random questions on each of them. Where we go over the next 30 minutes or so will change quite simply on the turn of those cars. This is 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos, the UK's largest operator with 52 venues nationwide and online at grosvenorcasinos.com. And in my hands is that pack of playing cards like no other. So let's get straight to it as I introduce my first guest of the first ever series of 52 in exactly 52 seconds. He is quite simply an all-time genius of a sport. The records roll off the tongue as easy as he rolls off century breaks on the table. Youngest player to win a ranking event. The fastest 147 maximum break in history. Most centuries, most prize money, most triple crown titles. Off the table, he's had a love-hate relationship with a sport that has taken him from world champion to pig farmer and back again. Outside of snooker, his main obsessions include running, food and arguing with me during Eurosport snooker coverage. Like so many of us, he's had his ups and downs, his upheavals, and in the modern age, I think we can learn so much from him because there has never, ever been a career in snooker like that of my first 52 guest. Seven Masters, seven UK titles, five-time champion of the world, the Rocket, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Hi, mate. Hey, hey, doing cool? You're my guinea pig. <laughs> what an intro. You like it? Yeah, it's good. I'm more nervous than you. Uh, because when you get a new idea, this could just fall to pieces. I've never, I don't know how this, how's it going to work? Like, we don't know what anything is. It's a good thing, I suppose, isn't it? You don't know what's going to come out. It's not like you're in structured normal interviews. Yeah. So. It suits you. Because, yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. You know, the reason why we hear you putting on Australian accents or getting the arse when you're in press conferences is because you know what's coming, don't you? The first question. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, you, you like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So I think, you know, sometimes you are, like, programmed just to kind of drivel out the sort of, sort of same old answers most of the time and really sometimes you want to elaborate a bit more, but then you think, oh, yeah. is it worth it? But I suppose one of these interviews, it's time to elaborate. Yeah, you're definitely damned if you do this. <laughs> Let's shuffle up. Go for it. Good shuffle, Carl. I like it. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Misspent youth. First round, dead simple. Pick a card, any card. There we go. I'm going to go in there. Can I look at it? Yeah. You're going to read it out. Very important that you tell me what the suit and the oh, number is. I really like this. It's the four of spades. Who is your non-famous hero? It's oh, a nice one, isn't Good it? question. God, I'm trying to think. Non-famous. Mm. So that rules out Damien Hurst. Right, yeah. So obviously ultra-famous. What, what, what about Steve Peters? Yeah, that rules him out. Steve oh, Peters no. is way too famous. Is Steve it? Peters, of course, the... What, what do you call them? Like, what, a head coach? A psychological... Just, yeah, uh... He's just a, like a friend. He's like the he's just mm. like such a good friend and someone that I love. And but yeah, I suppose he's in the pub, so I can't use him, can we? Right, so I've got to think of someone else. He's like a celebrity doctor. A no, so it's a non-famous hero. Yeah. Um, what about um, uh, school family? Uh, uh, your mate who's stuck with you over the years? Yeah, I'd say. Um, I'd go for Neil Folds if it was me. I'd say he's my, definitely not famous. My mate, uh, my my best mate, George. Yeah, I'd ask I'd go with George, yeah. yeah. So has George been someone who's just, like, no matter what is going on, is the person that you can just call? Yeah, because the reason why it was George, because we, we, we grew up together. Basically, our first encounter was we had a fight at school. Yes. I went to a new school, and everyone was like, and I, and I, and I was new there, and I kind of, like, 
didn't really fit in too clever. And a few people went, oh, George is going to get George to have a fight. You know? So I was like, oh, this? So I was waiting for George to turn up. And one day George turned up and he didn't even know who I was. But we just ended up having this fight. And I ended up getting the better of him. And everyone was going, he's beat, he's done George, he's done George. So then I was like, I was untouchable in the school. But then me and George become best mates. <laughs> so from the age of like nine up until the age of 16, 17, basically we slept in the same bedroom. He was on the floor or I was on the floor and his mum become like my mum, you know, and like we're just the best, bestest of mates. So um, he's like my hero really because basically I never spoke to him for five years. He went to America to play his football and then when he come back, we just started chatting again. So that's why I know we are best mates. You know? uh, was the fight after school at a scheduled time? Because I was always good if a fight happened at school straight away where it was like, right, we're throwing. But if I had time to think about it, I'd bottle it and then I wouldn't turn up. I was the guy who didn't turn up after school. This actually happened just as we was walking into our registration. Right. So at eight o'clock or half eight in the morning, we was all playing football in the school and then was walking into the thing and he was next to me and I was next to him and I'm, I'm just waiting for it and we kind of like, you know, a bar's turned into like a little mm. scrap really. It's very important, I think, to have a friend or a couple of friends in the world that mm. see you. Mm. Not, not a snooker player or mm. in my case, as someone who presents stuff. Yeah. I had an upheaval with with work once and everyone was like, are you, what are you going to do? Are you going st- to stay? Are you going to leave? All this stuff. My mate Tom rang me and he went, all right. And I went, yeah. And he went, where are you going to work next then? Mm. He knew me. He knew my decision. He mm. knew how I thought. And you just need that. And I bet you as well, George will say to you at times, here, wind your neck in. Behave yourself a bit. That That total... Honesty. Yeah, I mean, just I just get on so so well with him, and like you know, like we're like brothers in a way. So, um, yeah, no, we just got each other's back. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I know that if ever like he needed me for anything or I needed him, we'd always be there for each other. And you know, I miss our school days when we was with, with, with each other all the time because like you know we were just like blood brothers in a mm. way. Um, but then obviously he's got a girlfriend and a kid, and you kind of go your separate ways. But yeah, George is like listening. He's, he's, he's like family to me, you know, so yeah. Well, Georgia, if you're listening to this and you no doubt will listen to it, you need a second round. You need a sequel. You need a bit like Fury Wilder can happen behind closed doors. You know, like when Apollo Creed and Rocky fought for a third time and you don't get to see the results. I think you deserve another go at round. I think you take him now. He's not as strong as he used to be. Question <laughs> two is the riffle. Just say stop. Stop. Your question is the seven... Of spades. Seven of spades. Before I read this question out, yeah. if you get in your five-card hand a yeah. pair or above, Grosvenor okay. Casinos will donate £1,000 to the Cares Trust. What a great charity to be doing work with okay. at any time, yeah, but yeah. certainly at this moment as well. Yeah. They try and support and give financial support and emotional support to those family members and cares looking after those in their family that need it. Yeah. So... You started with two spades, so you, you know, you're on for the flush at least. But any pair or above, we're going to do it. And the question is, ah, oh, perfect, perfect. What is the greatest sporting arena on the planet? Now, that's interesting for you, Ronnie. Mm. Any other snooker player that's ever walked this earth would tell me right now mm. the place that is 500 yards yeah. from where we are sitting, the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield, but you're not any other snooker player. So let's find out. Right, the best sporting venue. I, th- I think one of the best sporting venues I went to would have been um, for, a- for Atmosphere. What was... Mm. It's really... Um, you've got me here, Colin. You've only played at most right. of Right. <laughs> what, is it? It's got to be a venue that I've played in? No, any. That's why I'm so intrigued. Do you go snooker or do you go for That's what I'm else? saying. Do I just... I think I'd have to say Goffs in Ireland. 
Goffs for me is the greatest venue. It's the, it's the only time where I've played where actually, you know when you hear people say, oh yeah, your hair's on the back of your neck stand yeah. up. That was just the one time it did. Most people listening will have no clue what that is and where it is, so give us the details. Right, Goffs is in Ireland, Southern Ireland, um, in a county Kildare. Yes. About 20 minutes drive from Dublin. Um, but what it's basically for is where all the horses are sold, so all the top horses, um, where they all buy yeah. all the red rums and whatever they are. It's this massive stable place, and it's like a circle, and they just... Your red rums, your desert orchids. Yeah, all them sort of things. <laughs> they they, they decided to put a snooker tournament on there. And it was... And honestly, you ask any snooker player that's played there or actually been there and watched any, any of the matches, um, they'll all tell you, by bar none, it is the greatest snooker venue that you'd ever get to play in. So who did you play there and what did they have there? <laughs> right. Um, I had a lot of good matches there. You obviously play your, your Davises, your Hendries, Jimmy Whites and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But the, the match that really stands out for me is when I played Ken Dockett in the final. I think he was might have been world champion at the time. Yeah. Uh, so we played in the final and I was, I don't know what it's I think it was about 5-3 after the first session. And then we come out for the evening session. But you walk underneath a tunnel. So you go underground to your, your dressing rooms. And as you walk out for this tunnel, all the crowd are just all up there. And uh, obviously Ken got a fantastic, you know, because yeah. he was from, from Dublin and obviously had all the home and sport. And then obviously I got a decent shout as well. But I literally was so nervous. And I thought, whoa, it was like a rush, a real big rush going through your body. And um, and then just get out there and play in, in, in the atmosphere was just fantastic. You, you felt like you was like a boxer, like Rocky going out to fight. And you don't really feel like that when you're playing snooker because obviously it's a much more sedated sort of trying to calm your nerves, trying to be in a good place. But the atmosphere in, in, this, in this particular evening, just you just couldn't help but just, you know, it was just the roar of the crowd. Because you could hear it. You was down in the basement and you could just hear. It's like a gladiatorial and a little bit like, like Russell Crowe and Gladiators. It was that similar sort of feeling, you know? I love that. It would have been the... Yeah, I don't think anyone listening would have had that answer. Um, I should explain that. How did Ronnie get a good welcome just outside Dublin when he's playing an Irish world champion? I'll explain how it works. There's a holy trinity, basically, which is Higgins, O'Sullivan and White. Mm. And we don't really see... Ronnie or Jimmy as being English or mm. French or it's a spirit that I the Irish audience just loves and we connect to any flawed genius mm. we just I don't know what it's in our system mm. but have you found that that certain countries that maybe have that kind of Celtic fire adopt you Absolutely, yeah. Because um, you go running in Belfast, don't you? When you're not even yeah, playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go running in Belfast. I always try and hit up with a local running club and. Obviously, the the local running coach becomes my friend. He comes to the tournament, and they become like my best friends. So yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time there, and and obviously, like you say, the people in in Ireland, Southern Ireland, Northern Ireland, it's such a, I don't know what it is. It's just this community sort of, you know, they're pulling for you, you know. And if they are pulling for you, they generally like you're in their camp. So. Uh, I remember years ago, we used to play at the City West Hotel and the owner there, he never really used to speak to anyone, but he used to go around collecting glasses. And you think, this guy, he's like got helicopters, Ferraris outside. And you see him just collecting glasses and you thought, you know, you're really warm to the guy, but he never actually spoke to anyone. And then one of the women at the end of it, she says, the big boss, he said, he don't watch no snooker, but if you're playing, he's like, everyone's quiet, I've got to watch Ronnie. Brilliant. And it was quite weird that this guy who owned this hotel and had like helicopters and Ferraris outside never actually come up to me and approached me and said, look, come and have a cup of tea. Um, but it was just such a, yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was funny, yeah. Amazing. Two questions in. At the moment, we've got the four of spades and the seven of spades. We've covered your non-famous hero, which I ain't really challenged yet, and your, your greatest sporting arena in the planet. Um, I absolutely adored that. But now it's my turn because it's time for the stacked deck. Before we started this first ever episode of 52, yeah. 
I picked a card and took it out of the deck. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because could we get a flush in our very first yeah. round of 52? Because it is a spade. It's the two of mm. spades. I've noticed, and obviously from sitting on a couch with you many times in Eurosport, never that keen when it comes to talking about the things that you've done and your achievements. So I've went the other way. Mm. The stack decked question is, what two minutes of your career would you hate to relive? Oh. I suppose it'd have to be um, where I walked out on the match against Stephen Hendry. Because uh, obviously at the time... I which, which one? I played him in the UK Championships. I can't remember what year it was. Maybe 2009, 2010. But I was just going through a like, really hard time um, off the table. And uh, I just remember playing him and just... You know, I was, I was all, things were right. You know, I was running, I was enjoying life, but I just my brain just wasn't into the snooker as such. And uh, I was, it was a first to nine, and I was four one down, oh, and yeah. I just couldn't pot a ball anyway. Um, and I just uh, yeah, and I just missed yeah. the ball, and I just shook his hand and and, and walked out, walked out the venue. See, I, I we're going back. I think you're right, ten, eleven years, and people were annoyed at that, really annoyed at you mm. for doing it. And then you didn't play in the Masters. This year? Yeah. Now, my opinion's so different because we mm. evolve and we always think we're the most evolved generation and we're not. We don't mm. know anything. Yeah. We're learning all the time. Yeah. And I, I've realized that especially in a sport that is an individual sport, but mm. then you add in that it's indoors in the dark. Mm. Yeah. That the mental health of snooker players mm. has never, ever been taken care of, ever. Mm. And if you're a proper wild spirit, and if, mm. if you're a, a very acute, overthinking character, which you mm. are, a yeah, lot of yeah, thoughts totally. flying about, roll the decks, yeah. brain, right? Absolutely. That, see, I probably would have been in 2000, you shouldn't walk out in the game. <laughs> but with the Masters, yeah. I actually said on air, I said, for those people who are mm. replying to Ronnie's tweet because he wanted Christmas with his family mm. and saying that he's a disgrace to the sport, shame mm. on you for doing that. Mm. that he, he doesn't owe you anything. Mm. He owes you absolutely nothing. Mm. His mental health should be the most important. Everyone's mental health should be the most important thing. Mm. So it's difficult. It's taken, I think, people a long while to get Mm. to that thought process, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, ugh, it's so strange because 20 years ago, whenever it was, when I was having like issues with the game, I, I, I call it snooker depression because like you say, you're in this, you're one-on-one, so you're on your own. You haven't even got a caddy to say, look, don't take a 7-9, take this. Or look, don't worry about it tonight, we'll have a nice meal. And, you know, see, so, you know, in snooker, you haven't really got anyone other than your coach who's not on the playing arena with you. So the, when you're playing, obviously, the emotions are heightened that much. So everything is kind of like in, in, in the heat of the moment sort of stuff. And you've got no one there to actually rationalise or, you know, just to calm you down. So, yeah, in, in a sense, it, it's really hard. So, like, 20 years ago, when I was talking about this, like, they was like, oh, mental health, he's mad. But then, obviously, like, Prince William and Prince Harry come out whenever it was a couple of years ago and start saying, oh, you know, about mental health. Now, everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 it's, it's okay. Tyson Fury, too. You know, but what I'm saying Very is important. there's a lot of people that want to jump on that bandwagon. I've noticed in the last two years, because it's kind of, like, cool to be part of, oh, yeah, we want to do something about mental health. But, um, see, with a sportsman, I just think we're so... Most of us have come from community backgrounds, you know, like footballers and stuff like that. So we're not really good at school. We haven't really got an education. Take away our sport and then, you know, and we're finished our careers. We sometimes get a crossroads. So it's tough, you know, when, you, when you're a sportsman, you're involved in that side of it, yeah. Is that, is that then, that's the two minutes you said of your career that you would, you would hate to relive. But mm. what's interesting is it's, it's probably the walkout, right? Because you knew. You knew before a ball was put. I find that really intriguing because I would say it would be the moment when you shook his hand and said, I don't want to play this game. But actually, you knew when you walked out. 
Yeah, because like I you say you had the dread walking out. Yeah, because I wanted to do it three or four matches previous to that yes. in games that I was playing. I just thought I just don't actually want to be out here. Why I don't know. I believe it was just well, I do know it was just off the table problems that I had at home and stuff like that, and I wasn't able to deal with it and going out there playing. Although it was important, it wasn't the most important thing in my life at the time. So I kind of like you know I didn't feel like I want to be on on display really, especially you know there's people watching you play, and I felt. You know, I just felt lonely, I suppose, out there. And it just wasn't a nice place to be, whether I was winning or losing. On this occasion, I was losing. I just thought, you know what, I just don't want to go through with this. And I already knew I was going to ring my mate up. I said, come, let's go out and we'll have a fantastic night. And I did, you know. And so, and, and, and that's some of the things that, like, you know, like this year I've done everything I shouldn't have done in snooker, um, which is not practice, not played in enough tournaments. And actually, I look back at the end of my year and I don't regret one bit of it. And I think sometimes you've got to face the worst possible outcome in what everybody else seems to think is the worst possible outcome to see if it's really that bad. And actually, I've enjoyed this season more than I did the last year. Last year, I won virtually every tournament I played in, but I've had more fun this year. And I'm like, you know, I was supposed to play in the Masters. I was supposed to play in every tournament. I was supposed to make the Coral Series. And I thought that they were really important, things that were going to make me happy. But actually, I've had a much better year having not, played in them events so it's kind of like you know you have to like you say your mental health and your happiness and just spending time with your family and your loved ones I do believe you know is the most important thing that's what holds it's like a tree isn't it it's the roots of the tree you know it's a wonderful answer uh, someone just to finish someone once gave me a bit of advice that stuck with me for decades I just started in this world and I was coming from McDonald's and YTS scheme so when I was starting to get Oh, you get £800 for a day's work. That was mind-boggling. Yeah. I was making a show called EastEnders Revealed for BBC Choice. I was so ill, and I was flying over from Northern Ireland. I hadn't mm. moved to London yet. I was so ill. Somebody said to me, I'll let you get on that flight if you can give me one thing that'll change if you don't. One part of the world that'll stop turning if you don't make that show. Mm. And I looked, and I couldn't come up with anything. Mm. And I phoned in sick. And it's the perspective yeah. of that is so important, I think. And another thing I've stopped doing as well is social media because I just thought it's such a, I don't know, it's sort of like, I think the Caroline Flack was the final thing because before that, I'd, I'd, I very rarely went on it. I'd have a little moment where I'd go, you know what, I'm going to have a rant, I'm going to have a laugh with the fans, engage with them for two, three hours and then and then I'm off of it again for like a month, six weeks or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I haven't been on there for like six months and I feel better if I've started to read more because I find it's very hard to come off of social media. If you went, yeah. I'm just coming off of it and I put my phone in the other room, it's really difficult. It's like, <laughs> I want to yeah. go in there and check it. Yeah. So what I've done is I've started reading more. Um, I've, I go out on bike rides a lot more. So I found the best way to overcome that is just to try and fill your life up and do stuff rather than just sort of going cold turkey. Absolutely. You like. And, you know, it's there to put notices out, but you don't yeah. have, you know, if you have to say, hey, I'm doing this thing for a charity or I'm doing this I thing just, I want you to listen to, then that's fine. Someone can tweet I that out. I just get my mate to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was good. I, I was doing an interview with Anthony Josh and he went, you know, after you've won a fight, what do you do? I just pay my mate 200 quid just to respond to all the text <laughs> messages. <laughs> and I went, you know what? By the way. That's fantastic. 200 quid. <laughs> he gets like 60 million. Oh, no. Every 200 his nephew, quid. He gives his nephew 200 quid. <laughs> I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, brilliant. What an answer. Right, shuffle up. Quite simply, top or bottom? Top. Will it match the deck? <gasps> it didn't match, but you got another speed. You got <laughs> oh, four nice. speeds. This is brilliant. Hopefully we'll get that grand. Oh, what a good question. Ace of spades, the motorhead question. What is one thing about you that we don't know? One thing about me you don't know. Hmm. It doesn't have to be Just serious. Everybody knows everything about Yeah, right. You, okay, so I'll, I'll, okay. You right. need to give me a nudge. All right, so like, right. My wee toes don't touch the ground. 
yeah. from wearing hand-me-downs and stuff when he was young. <laughs> and the doctor said, right? The doctor said if one touched the ground, I'd be a bit off balance. But because they're both so bad, I'm perfectly balanced. And then oh, really? I was reading this thing that natural evolution, we don't need our little toes. Like, we'll eventually lose them. We'll have four toes. Because, you know, the bodies have always changed. Right. Like, we went upright, haven't we? Yeah. And, and we're always evolving. And one thing that they can't really work out we need anymore are little toes. One that could have been completely a non-medical thing I read, but I believed it. One thing that nobody knows about me. Yeah. Okay. Um, apparently, I used to get up at about, when I was about six, I used to watch from my window the geese, because there was a school opposite, and this fella yeah. used to sweep the yard. Right. And apparently I used to wait until he'd finished sweeping the yard and I'd go out there with my own broom <laughs> and start sweeping <laughs> the school out. I don't actually remember doing it, but my dad said, we went in the bedroom one day, we went, where is he? He said, I looked out and he was in the schoolyard sweeping. He said, you used to just watch this guy sweeping, so. No yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, apparently, yeah. So I've never really declared that because I thought, why would you? Why but, would you? But you've kind of like put it on me a little bit to did, come up with something. And I'm thinking, well, did you, I've never really mentioned that to Did you now. go to that school? No, never went right. to that school, but we always, always opposite. I do remember always looking out my window. I wonder, did he know, right? Because you wouldn't have been that clever. Two, after two follow-up points, right? First of all, did he know? And second of all, where, as a child, were you keeping this secret brush? Like, <laughs> like where were you getting a brush? Like, that's quite a thing to hide, you know, like behind a tree or... I just don't know, but it's, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's not, it's not normal, is it? It's very much it's not, not normal. normal. Right, and it just got you to stop doing it, because obviously... Yeah, it's weird. yeah, but my dad said I was. He said the other thing you used to do. He said you used to come in from school and and, and put your rucksack down, put the TV on, and watch Countdown. He said I used to think, God, he must be clever. He said you used to sit there for half an hour. He said I'm waiting for you to say. He said you didn't say anything. You didn't like even try and you know get the numbers right or get a word out. He said I just. He said I knew then there was just something not right about you. <laughs> <laughs> what an answer. Right, last card. Hopefully it'll be a spade, a four, a seven, a two, or an ace. We've got a very high chance of getting this grand for the Cares Trust. We'll see yeah. how it works out. I'm sure over the series we'll get quite a few. Dead simple, mate. Cut the deck. And whatever the, the question is, you can just read that out. Yeah. yeah, what is it? Oh, it's eight of hearts. Oh, no. What is your chances? Oh, well, it was what, about, what's the question? What's the worst sport on the planet? Right. What a good way. Wow. What a good question. I hate to criticise sports. because Well, you can... What you, okay, let me make that a bit easier. There just, is one sport that comes to mind. By the way, mind. I'm checking it because I don't trust them. There is, there is one sport that comes to mind. Yeah. Have you checked it yet? Yeah, yeah what's the worst sport on the planet? <laughs> it could be your worst. Do you not have to say it's bad? The worst sport? I think it's got to be curling. Mm. But then I kind of think, you get into it, though. Yeah, you get into it. Yeah, right. you start thinking, I like yeah. brushing and getting it on. Yeah. Well, we know you like brushing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Could... <laughs> that should have been the sport for me. But, um, yeah, I kind of started watching it just thinking, who who, who would take that sport up? Yeah. Where, you know, it, you've got to find ice. You've got to, like, you like, it's not really accessible, is it? Yeah, as if you live in Canada. I mean, they would yeah. say the same about yeah. cricket. I'd be like, well, where are we going to play that? Yeah, yeah. It is a strange one. I, th- I think, like, if you're good at it, you're. this is a really ignorant thing of me to say, but... I'm only having a joke. If you're good at it, you're probably making the Olympics, right? Yeah. There's not a big field mm. of people playing. It's not like yeah. you're going up against another yeah. 50,000 people, are you? Mm. So how good are you really? <laughs> 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 That's kind of you, your mate. Do you know what I hate about curling? Because I like watching it. I hate the people mm. that watch sports mm. once every four years and claim to be experts five minutes into it. Mm. Like, that's what curling is. Mm. Like, the sports that people only come to once every four years. Mm. With snooker's an example in a way, because 
people will watch the. There'll be a lot of people will watch the worlds and nothing else. Mm. Then there'll be another group of people who watch the worlds, UKs, and Masters and nothing else. Mm. And then there's proper snooker fans that watch the lot. Yeah, yeah. People watch the worlds, right? I'll see a safety shot, and they'll go. He missed that by a mile. No, no, no. He he, he wasn't trying to pot it, right? I know. Yeah. Some commentators said to be fair, but <laughs> <laughs> but so so these people that come along, they've mm. never seen curling in their feckin' life. Yeah. And then the second stone that comes down, they're going like this: sweep, sweep, sweep. <laughs> what do you know? What do you know? <laughs> so let's recap our five cards. Uh, who is your non-famous hero? Which was George. George, yeah. Great answer. Mm. Um, what's the greatest sporting arena on the planet? Golfs in Ireland. Yeah. Which two minutes of your career would you hit to relive? It was a wonderful, honest answer about, obviously, the forfeit of the game against Stephen Hendry. Mm. What's the one thing that we don't know about you? Just, yeah, wannabe caretaker, which is brilliant. And <laughs> curling for the worst sport on the planet. Mm. Which brings us to the wild card. When I do an interview, I would sit down and prep for hours and hours and hours and I get to ask 40 questions. And I find this really tough because the wild card that finishes this episode of 52 is a question that I've written, one. What okay. is the one question I'd ask Ronnie? And actually, I think I've got this right because you've touched on it. Mm. You've already mentioned it yeah. when you went to the place you were in when you forfeited a game against Stephen Hendry. Yeah. As you sit here today, 44 years old, mm. how would you define happiness? And how does it differ from how you would have answered that question when you were 21? Um, happiness, I think, is the simplicity. For me, it was about simplicity, you know. And when I kind of um, realised happiness wasn't outside in winning or material or sort of gaining stuff in, in a way, I kind of like started to search out a little bit of spirituality. Just sort of, if the first step for me was stop drinking and puffing and taking mm. You know, mm. substances really, because I was just numbing myself, and then I kind of got into running, and and I found like like you know, running was a massive sort of endorphin rush, and I just thought all I got to do is go and spend a hundred pound on a pair of trainers that last me six months, put an old pair of tatty old shorts, <laughs> an old vest, run for an hour through Epping Forest, come back with the most amazing suntan in the summer, feel brilliant, could eat what I want, and feel fantastic, and I thought that's cheap. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, you know, you know, we've all been into that thing where you oh, buy nice clothes or got a nice car and, you know, and none of them really ever made me feel anywhere near as happy as that 10 mile run on a Saturday with the Orion, Orion Running Club. Mm. And I started off at the back with the Orion Running Club thinking, oh, you know, I'd, just, I'd love to be up there with the, with the top boys. Within a year, I was the last one home where I was, you know, mm. just dropping everybody. So I just kind of think... For me, to find true happiness, it it wasn't in external things. It was just in the back, just staying fit, eating well. Just, mm. yeah, and, and, you know, and stop trying to get these material possessions that are supposed to make you happy, I suppose. And uh, Trinkets. Yeah, and when I was younger, all I ever wanted to do was be on TV playing snooker. You know, I, I remember losing to Cliff Wilson, and if I'd have beat Cliff Wilson, I'd have got to play Stephen Hendry, and I was so devastated. Because I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll never get to play on snooker on TV ever again. And you kind of like, you know, you just feel like you just want to be recognised, you know, as like I used to look at Stephen Andrew, Jimmy White, and just think, oh, I just would love to, to oh, it's my dream. But then kind of when you get it, you kind of think, oh, it's like, you know, it's not an easy thing to deal with because sometimes you want to go out to a restaurant, chill out, relax, and you get people that want, you know, selfies and pictures and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most talkative, I'm not 
one of these people that walks in a room and you go, oh, yeah, he's a bundle of laughs. I'm quite quiet and reserved, you know. I'll sit in the corner. If there's a room full of people, I'm, I'm, I'm heading for the corner and just get my drink and I'm like, you know, I've got my back to the wall. Uh, whereas someone like Jimmy White, he's like, you know, got the gift of the gab and, you know, and, and I just have to accept that I'm not that type of person. But, um, yeah, I think fame is overrated. You know, I just think it's nice just to, you know, look at some people, they, they, they the more simple they live their life, the happier they seem to be, you know, and... That's why I think as I as I finish playing snooker, I probably I know it sounds crazy, but I'd probably end up becoming a running coach because a lot of my happiness has come from being around other people that run and just being in that community. I, th- I think I crave community really. I think when I used to live in Ilford, we had our neighbours used to speak to your neighbours, and then my mum and dad moved to Chigwell and we had this big house with gates on. Yep. And you don't speak to your neighbours and no one really, you know. So I think, you know, the happiest I ever was was when I lived in Liverpool for two years. Yeah. And, I, and I used to stay in Anfield, which, I mean, if you've been to Anfield, I mean, Many we times. all go to watch football. <laughs> but actually, in the communities that live there, it's a rough, it can be a rough place. Yeah. But I never felt happier or safer than when I was in that little place. And I'm thinking... What, you know, I used to live in a council flat there. My mate had a council flat, and we and I was just, I'd never been happier. So why is that? I don't know. And I just think sometimes it's the people and the spirit of people that can make your life brilliant. You know, and I just like to say, like I had my best Christmas when I was in Liverpool. My mate, his, his mum and dad got this little terrace house. Mm. They left the front door open all day. There must have been 40, 50 people <laughs> in this little house. No, you in the corner. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I actually felt safe to come out there yeah. because everyone was so like, yeah. you know, it was just genuine and it was nice. And I think. That's the environment I probably thrive in, you know, and that's probably why I don't fit into this corporate snooker sort of politically correct, you know, being this role model. I don't want to be. I'm not a role model. You know, if I was, if I had a son, I'd say, don't follow him. Yeah. <laughs> don't. You know what I mean? Like, if I was on the TV, I'd go, don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, I've just, yeah. It's great advice. It's good to hear, and I am. You know, it's 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 something that has been repeated through time, which is these these material things do not make you happy. Mental mm. health. A, a, a healthy state of mind, a healthier state of mind, working in that makes you much happier, whether it's through physical exercise, eating the right food, having people around you that you mm. love and trust. And you know what? That answer connects to the very first answer in George. So I think that's a perfect place to say that was the first episode of Colin Murray's 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks, Colin. No more bets. This podcast has been a Cop C production and Grosvenor Casinos is for over 18s only. Photographic ID may be required and please gamble responsibly.